coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado. It's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Hail Savages, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Savage Cast, Just the Tips, where we are going to stalk, kill, butcher, and serve up for your digestive pleasure 11 tips for Game Masters on how not to suck when you run a Savage Worlds game uh, at a convention or a game store or a venue where you know all the players don't know each other, they might be new to the system, or even uh, new to the hobby of role-playing uh, itself. Yeah, so we know a lot of Game Masters... You know, they got started running home games, campaigns for friends, and those games, obviously, those challenges and expectations are very different from running games in public. We've kind of taken suggestions and distilled them down from the combined wisdom of a lot of the Rocky Mountain Savages tribe of Game Masters, uh, and we've all run hundreds and hundreds of public games at conventions, game days, game stores, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we've managed to, to have a lot of characters die in the fields of battle, whether that be a pulp battlefield or in space or any of the various numbers of savage settings. Where no, no one can, can hear you scream. That's right. But uh, we haven't killed any players in the process. All of our players have managed to stay alive. So I would think maybe we're doing something right out there. What do you think? Yeah, no humans were harmed during the production of these Savage Worlds games. You know, but we know that it's still a wild and wicked world out there. And um, so since it's, as they say in Zelda, it's dangerous to go alone. So take this, uh, 10 tips for players as well as Game Masters uh, to make the most out of your next public game and contribute successfully to the story. Help the GM make everybody else's game uh, wonderful, uh, you know, for mutual enjoyment. So Yeah, because it's important. I mean, this is not, when you're playing in public, be it a convention game, anything, you know, it's not just the GM who who needs some some tips and tricks, but you know, players as well. So I think that these ten tips for players are just as valuable and just as important as the tips that we came up with for game masters. Yeah, so let the savage tribe be your safari guide on your hunt for big, wild, exotic, and perhaps even dangerous games. Uh, we think that our 21 tips will be able to hunt down and kill the biggest, best, baddest, impressive games using our arsenal of tricks, take a selfie over their still warm bodies, and mount them on your wall like a uh, any decent trophy hunter could do. So we want your games to be so fast, so furious, so fun, that PETA itself will launch a protest against them. Before we do that, we need to talk about this week's savage happenings. From around the world! world. <laughs> so, the biggie, the biggie that is out there right now is Pinnacle's Weird War 1 Kickstarter. So nice. Yes, it fully funded. This bad boy managed to unlock every stretch goal, managed to fund a last-second adventure, and it raised a little bit over $65,000 in, in a two-week Kickstarter. Yeah, that's amazing. And they're really hitting their stride on getting these Kickstarters out, making them a nice campaign, as well as the rather prescient strategy to have the majority of the work done for the Kickstarter at the launch of the Kickstarter. And then I think really probably just using the Kickstarter funds to, to pay for the printing, you know, the actual hardcore copies. But, right. You know, the fact that, you know, the second these things get funded, it's just days um, before people are getting, you know, content in their inboxes. Um, yeah, I, I would assume that by the latest, the end of this week, my guess would be people have PDFs of at least the player's guide and the GM guide in their inboxes. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I mean, Pinnacles, they're on top of it. So, And it's really impressive given that this is you know, their Kickstarter was going on at the exact same time as the behemoth uh, 7C Kickstarter, which has pulled down uh, almost a million. I mean, like like $900,000 out of the collective RPGers' pockets um, this month. I mean, that thing's a beast. So let me ask you this question. I, I was not able to back Weird War 1 because of another Kickstarter that I know is coming later this year for Savage Rifts. The 7C Kickstarter, okay, 900K. I always worry a little bit about that because my thought is, is are they going to be able to come through with everything that 
are they overpromising with that amount of money and having to have all those stretch goals? I'm not saying it's going to, but I always that, that's always something that's in the back of my mind. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never played Seven C, and so you know, I, it's hard for me to comment on you know the quality of the original, but that's that's a very high bar to set. I mean, the you know, and other Kickstarters. I mean, like the. You know, just this week they announced that the number one Kickstarter, which was the the cool cooler, right, which is yeah. like a cooler with a radio and a USB charger, and all that stuff. yeah, they they couldn't get on top. I mean, they made millions and they couldn't get on top of it, and now they need you know financial backers to come out of the woodwork to help them deliver their product. And there have been several others in publishing and in other kind of events where they're incredibly successful, but it's a big question on were the producers you know, prepared for that kind of success and right. I mean, nothing against John Wick. I mean, we know the guy's a badass. Oh, yeah. Everyone saw his, his, his lifetime movie with Keanu Reeves where, you know, the Russian mob kills his dog and he gets revenge and, you know, right. but the, uh, you know, not the same John Wick. It would be I, cool. If I it wish was. him the best of luck. I, I think it's going to be a, a, a very good game. Something I'm interested in. I have enough games right now that I'm I'm running and playing, but uh, I'm interested in it. And I went, I looked at the Kickstarter. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the the Kickstarter looks great, so hopefully that production value, you know, translates into the books, but I wonder if he's the only guy working on it because it's you know they funded so many additional books. It's uh, uh I bet he's got to have a team working with them. Yeah, and if if that comes off, I think it'll be great news for the RPG industry. I think, you know, it'll set a new bar, you know, just for the kind of funding you can expect uh, or should I reach for. Sure. Um, so if it comes off, I think it'd be, it could be a great thing. It could float all boats. Um, or galleons uh, in this case. Yeah, so speaking of other Kickstarters, uh, the Olympus Inc. Kickstarter was unceremoniously shut down at 98% funded over a very harmless technicality mistake. And Charles White with Fabled Environments, who is one of the team members putting out Olympus Inc., uh, is going to be with us on episode three to tell us kind of what happened with that and what you can expect when they relaunch in early April. Yeah, when you hear the actual reasons behind the the shutdown, uh, you'll you'll probably laugh and cry a little bit that this thing isn't already funded and, and making its way to your inboxes now. Charles is a great guy, and we're looking f- excited for that. Yeah. And, um, Looking forward to that, I should say. Very confident, very confident in saying it was a simple mistake. Nothing shady, nothing. Nobody's trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. It was a simple mistake. So if you backed Olympus Inc., if you were thinking about it, watch for that relaunch in early April. Go out, back it again. He's got some different stretch goals and different things he's doing. He's kind of revamping it. They're only going to run it for two weeks uh, because it was, again, 98% funded when it got pulled. Give Charles some love. Give Olympus Inc. some love. And just know that it was yeah, a simple, simple mistake. Be sure to check out our next episode, which will feature a lengthy interview with Charles, not only on the Kickstarter, but also on the greater world of Olympus Inc. and his thoughts on world building. So, Yeah, and the other the other big news, and I don't even know if we should talk about it. We can just kind of blow this because off, but clearly no one's going to be interested in this. Yeah, nobody wants to know about this. But uh, there's this, this thing called Savage Rifts that's out there. And it's gone into basically round two of playtesting, I would say. And so this is the second adventure that Sean Patrick Fannin is using to test out Savage Rifts. It's called Enter the Odd Squad. I got to play this at Genghis. Had a great time. What's cool about it is... He's made up a dream team of characters from all over the Savage Realms. So within one game, there's a character from Deadlands, Weird Wars Rome, Accursed, Shintar, Rippers, and Necessary Evil. The Necessary Evil character, if I recall, was Rock and Roll. That's who I played. (laughs) He's a superhero who could basically, he was like Earth Elemental. So I turned into, like, a lot of times I would turn into a huge boulder and just roll over people. That is awesome. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so Landauer and I and some local folks here in the Denver area, we're actually going to be playing with Sean in Enter the Odd Squad later this month. And recording it. And recording it. We're going to put out an in- we're going to conduct an interview with Sean. So we put this out, what, a week ago, maybe less than oh, a week ago. 
dozens of questions. We put out a request for questions. Yeah, we have dozens and dozens of questions. So if you have any questions that you want us to ask Sean Patrick Fannin about Savage Riffs, email them to us. It's uproar at savagecast.com. Get those to us. We'll take all those questions. We're going to distill them down. So uh, combine ones that are the same and we'll go through these questions with him. Now, the one question that a lot of people have, you can send it to us, but we're not going to ask him is the real kicker. When is this coming out? When, is when this, it's ready, folks. That's when is, yeah, when it's ready. They're going to, from what I've heard, again, I can't say this for a hundred percent certainty. I'm pretty darn sure that it's going to be a Kickstarter. Um, I really and feel that's the way about to it. go. I mean, within 10 seconds of, of their Pinnacles announcement, I'm pretty sure, you know. You oh, it'll be that. all over. It'll be all over everywhere. We'll, we'll be posting about it. Everybody will be posting about it. So have no fear. You'll know when it's going to come out. I'm going to back it again, kind of like I said. That's one of the reasons why I didn't back Weird War 1 is because I knew I was going to back Savage Rifts, and I'll probably be backing it at a much higher level than I actually can afford. Oh, there's going to be so much content coming out there that it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, it's going to it's going to take a chunk out of my wallet. Yeah, so speaking of taking chunks out of wallet, um, yes. save your pennies now for Tacticon 2016, the second largest Savage Worlds convention anywhere. Uh, it'll be coming this Labor Day weekend, September 1st through the 4th, 2016, to the lovely Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, we already know our Savage Worlds guest. We just confirmed this a moment ago. Uh, Very Carl cool, Kiesler will be joining us. He's the craft master extraordinaire and genius behind such games as League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 1980s, which you ran, Chris Fox, and you, you played in it as well at, at Gen Con. Yeah, played in it at Gen Con. I got to play Teen Wolf. And as we were playing it and everybody, it, it was it was kind of funny because his production values are incredible. Yeah, best I've seen. The guy's and got talent. The guy's trying to run the game and he's got eight of us, nine of us around the table taking pictures and standing and moving and clicking and, and he's trying to run the game and we're all taking pictures of our table tents and our character sheets and our minis that that he's converted from hero clicks and all these different minis and he's converted all of these to make the characters for this game. It was it was amazing and I had to bring it back here to run it in Colorado and I will tell you my production values and my production level on that game were about five percent of what Carl does. Uh, and they were still amazing. I mean so. the the maps and the character sheets. I got to play Ripley from Aliens, and uh, the character sheets were like this pop art, you know, kind of character sheet. Looked just gorgeous. Um, he, he's, Carl recently posted some really cool character sheets that he's done for Savage Mystery Men. And um, so, yeah, Carl will be coming out, running games for us, doing a panel with the Savage cast, playing in some of our games. So don't miss your chance to come out and game with one of the most creative GMs out there uh, at Tacticon 2016. And after how many years? Lots of, lots of years. The, the Tacticon is actually moving from Denver down to Colorado Springs. So uh, it's actually kind of exciting to, to see a new venue, uh, get people a chance to, to come to a new city. So um, it's going to be exciting. It's, it's a big change for folks, but I, I think it's going to be pretty exciting to be at Tacticon. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and we'll definitely bring you more info on, on that going forward. Uh, Chris and I are both really involved. I'm actually the RPG coordinator for Tacticon, so uh, I've been to the hotel a couple times. Nice place, the Hotel Elegante uh, Convention Center, and um, I think the... I don't think we're ever going to see the, the private rooms that we enjoyed <laughs> at the Annex. Um, but I think we've got semi-private space, so only a couple tables per room. Um, nice hotel. Uh, it's got an indoor pool, so you can bring the, the family. Real pet-friendly. So uh, Colorado Springs, it's, it's only uh, you know, 40, 60 miles, whatever it is, from Denver. So uh, not too, too much further. And uh, Carl Kiesler is definitely worth the extra drive. So hope to see you guys uh uh, from in town and out of state at Tacticon 2016. And uh, even cooler is um, thank you guys so much for your epic response to our first couple of episodes. Um, we're really humbled by all the positive feedback and emails and getting the word out about uh, this new endeavor from Chris Fox and I. Um, our episode zero got over a thousand hits and our episode one over 1500. And that was just in February. Um, I think we've racked up some 800 more since then in the first couple of days of March. And, um, you know, that's just from your mother and my mother listening. Over yeah, my mom loves the show. 
She th- yeah. she thinks it's she thinks it's five stars. That yeah exactly yeah there's 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 three five star um you know uh, feedback so far and between our mothers it means we have one awesome fan out there who's uh also agrees with our moms that's like, that's a cool idea we should do a Mother's Day event where we we like play for parents people can like bring their parents to RPGs yeah let's do it that's that's a, well, that's, that's, that's very interesting yeah bring your mom to Savage Worlds Day. <laughs> It could end disastrously, but I think it might be fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we could help us celebrate. Um, we All of your feedback and um, downloads put us in the top ten podcasts in uh, our gaming category on iTunes. And that uh, launched us into the new and noteworthy section uh, from the whole platform. So uh, if you haven't rated and reviewed us on iTunes yet, please uh, help us continue this early success. Guys. Yes, thank you guys so much. Uh, this is this is kind of a passion project for Chris and I. I love doing it. Um, I'm passionate about it. I'm excited about it. I, I just, it's something I really like doing. And so it's, I'm so, I can't tell you how much I appreciate people listening to it, giving us feedback. It's It's been great. Yeah. And, uh, and with that, we're about to give you just the tips. One of our, our listeners on the last podcast complimented our humility in the podcast. And I don't know if bragging about getting a compliment about a humility makes it go away. And it's kind of one of those oxymoronical things. Can you brag about being humble? Oh, we're so humble. Yeah, we are. So you really can't spell humility without humiliation. So did I ever tell you about the time, Chris, when I ran a game for the guy who made the design the game in a world that was his favorite world he designed and totally boffed it? Well, I'll tell you, listeners. So at the, the last convention, I ran Deadlands, and Shane Hensley happened to be at the table and uh, hated the game. And there's some reasons for it, and we decided, you know, in, in talking with Shane about it, we figured we'd, we'd nail out some guidelines just on how to avoid common pitfalls in, in running convention games. And I don't know if I would say that Shane hated the game. That hate might be a strong word, but he had some issues. Well, it's a high bar to set, right? I mean, oh, well, hell yeah. You know, running the game for the guy who created it in yeah. the setting that's his, his, his favorite setting. Yes. And I mean, in my own defense, not everybody hated the game. The uh, Half the table loved it, and they have already signed up for my games in the next convention. But I think the way I – some decisions I made in some circumstances of the game uh, made it less than desirable. Um, I think I ran Deadlands more as a pulp kind of setting. Right. Um, I kind of, I, I enjoy running that. I, I enjoy a lot of, you know, meta humor and it was also just some other kind of convention factors. Like the, we had like 10 people at the table and so I couldn't see everybody. And so it ended up where Shane was actually sitting behind me almost. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't see his face and he was actually behind. I had this big piece of terrain and he was actually behind it. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I couldn't see his face and apparently he was making, you know, faces the entire time. You know, some things that didn't, didn't work out for the best. And no matter what, I think GMs want to make everybody at their table happy. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of our job as right, the performer, yeah. Yeah, as the host to, to make sure everyone's happy. And so, you know, if you have half the table who, you know, were ecstatic about the game and half who didn't get what they wanted out of it, you know, that's a failure. And it's a failure you can prevent by, you know, learning from it and, and figuring out just, you know, ways to mitigate the chance of that happening again. So... We consulted the Rocky Mountain Savages and came up with some on, on both sides of the table on uh, how to be an effective GM at a convention game, as well as how to be a, an effective player. So the uh, since I botched the GM part, I'll have Chris start run us through the rules we compiled from our best GMs on simple advice for running a Savage Worlds con game. Yeah, and let me start out by saying right out. Right up front, your mileage may vary. These are things that we came up with. We we took a while to compile this list, but some of them may or may not work for you. Some of them you may say, "Oh my God, that's that's obvious. Why would you not do that?" But it's just spark spark some some uh, conversation, and you know, just to try to give people some ideas of how to make those games run a little bit smoother. So our first tip is to introduce yourself, welcome the players to your game, allow them to greet each other. Remind them of what adventure they're going to be playing in. Give them a little bit of a rundown on that. Explain the pregens. Answer questions. Don't assume that you have all experienced players. Take a little bit of time and ask how many of you have played Savage Worlds. Get a show of hands. If you can, and I've done this before, I've actually asked a couple of people who were Savage Worlds players and who have played in the past if they wouldn't mind sitting next to a brand new player. 
Oh yeah, great idea. To, Having to yeah. kind of help that that player out. Yeah, make sure your name tag's visible, so you know, right. they know your name. And it, it, a lot of GMs go above and beyond and do name tags for players and characters. So you know that's, I think that's out there. A, I think that's that's important. I think if you're not going to make a card up ahead of time with the player character name and everything, I always have my players make table tents. On that table tent, I have them put their character name, their toughness, their parry, and their name, so that. When I'm running the game, I can go in and I can use character names and not use their real name. Yeah, just just remembering that this is also a a social event, a social game, and that some social etiquette helps. There's a reason that we, you know, name tags and and, and names in your badges. And, you know, also just the fact that the, you know, if you, introducing yourself allows people to feel welcome. Yes. And, you know, you know, some of those shy players, you know, can feel a little more at home to step up and interact versus, you know, sitting in the corner and not interacting. So Right. Yeah. Being that fly on the wall because they just they don't feel comfortable. The second one is preparation. I know there's a lot of GMs out there who don't prepare, but I think for running a con game, I think preparation is is critical, even if it's just notes, just a page of notes, just having some idea of where you're going. You know, con games last four hours. If you really look at it, you have about three hours of game time. I think it's important that you have enough material to cover four hours. So use scenes, make your story into scenes, have a beginning, a middle, and an end in mind so that you know where you're going, take your setting into account, that's important. Making sure that your adventure fits the game world. I don't know if Deadlands being too pulpy for you was was part of the issue, but you want to be sure to emphasize the setting as part of the stage that your adventures get to play in. Oh yeah, and I think that is important. Because I think you know, I think that the the players who knew me as a GM didn't have a problem with the way I ran the game. But obviously, if someone like one of the previous conventions, you know, one of our uh, big issue was a player who had signed up for a game they thought was a Cthulhu game set in Victorian England, where it's going to be investigation. Uh, but the GM was running Cthulhu Tech, which is an entirely different take on the right. system. That player, I mean, they it's, it's up to the player to know that. But again, that player should have been keyed in. That this is not what you're looking. If you're coming expecting investigation and you know Miskatonic, and you get future Raycons, and and you're not getting what you're expecting, and that's that's enough to put some players off and, and don't have a good time. So same way, if, if you're going to run a different take on the setting, make sure it's clear in the blurb, right? That you know this isn't your your dad's version. Yeah, of the you know, you're expecting. You've given them a blurb saying, "Hey, this is a uh, you know a superhero comic hour. Don't present them Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol with werewolves." Exactly. Uh, another thing on preparation is make sure to review any of the rules, the system rules, things like that that you're going to be using in your game that you don't use all the time. Bookmark it. Make yourself a printout of those rules so it's it's right at hand because that will go a long way in keeping that game moving so you're not stuck and you're not thinking, oh, God, now I need to go to the book to find this rule. Oh, exactly. And just having the rules, just, you know, running through the rules fresh before your game helps out. Like, you know, in, in that game that I botched, the, uh, one of the issues that came up was that I forgot about the penalty for, um, auto fire. If you're a rapid firing weapon, you have to take the penalty. Well, so if, if one character spends their points on edges to remove that penalty, um, and I'm not enforcing that penalty. And so suddenly a character who doesn't, you know, who's got a, a lower level character who's firing away is doing a lot more hits and damage than a character who spent points buying off that penalty with an edge, right. you know, rock and roll in that case. And so yeah, that, that, that was an issue. It was like, you know, if you're, if you're going to run the game, run it right. Another thing that comes up is to change the pacing and style between scenes. A steady die to combat is okay, but it gets old without variation. You know, you need to you need to vary the game. Some investigation, some a opportunity chase, for role plays, opportunity yeah. for role playing. Those types of things, so that the game's not scene one, combat one. We transition to scene two. We have combat number two. We transition to scene three. We have combat number three. So you want to make sure that you use those special rules, use those chases, use interludes, use the. It's it's the social contract, the social combat rules. Use those, and it'll help you to get a better story flow, and it'll avoid uh, repetition. So I think that's important. 
I always can get concerned when I'm running a con game that my games are always too combat heavy. I agree. And I think, you know, I, I definitely run combat heavy games, which is you know, part of the problem here was that, you know, Shane didn't think there was as much character buy-in enough to make the combats meaningful. And part of that was my fault in that the game was, was part of our ongoing living system where we were on, you know, Deadlands and some other systems living over multiple conventions. So the other players at the table had already played in this system and were bringing their characters in. And so they already knew the, the whole introduction of this is the Twilight Legion. You guys are, you know, sanctioned monster hunters working for, um, you know, the government. And there's, there were so many players at the table. And I, I really should say no next time. So basically what happened was I had a full table of like six I think I even had eight. Um, I think I maybe signed up for eight instead of six because I wasn't going to be running multiple sessions of this, which I usually do. So, you know, I've got room for, for players and there's, you know, enough demand. So I think I ran for eight and then another two friends came and said, Hey, we got tickets. You know, can we get tickets to your table? And I said, sure. And so we ended up with 10 and it was just, you know, it was too That's many way people. Too many. It was way too many people. And so in, in seeing a table jam packed room full of me, of players in front of me, I didn't go through and be as careful as, setting the tone for the game, setting the the expectation of who the players were. Because I knew most of the players at the table knew this already. But obviously, um, Shane hadn't played in one of my games before. It's like, you know, when I start, when brand new players in the system, when I run them, I have them actually swear the allegiance to the Twilight Legion. And so they know, I mean, they're, they're just kind of a buy-in. They right. know what, where in the world they are. And I kind of glossed over that because there were so many people. I didn't want to take the time and, and you know, jip people out of getting to the game. And I, obviously, it didn't work out. It kind of backfired. It jipped people from having, or at least half the people who didn't know already what the, you know, the system and the ethic was of, of these kind of games into suspending disbelief and getting deeper in, enough into the games. I and mean, that was clear when I was talking with Shane about it because, you know, he relayed to me things that he remembered from the game that were incorrect, but they were incorrect because I wasn't detailed enough. Like, for instance, the, the game started in Denver and then the underneath the Denver city capital was where the secret meeting place of the, the Twilight Legion was. Well, Shane remembered as being in DC because I had said the Capitol building, not the Denver Capitol. Uh, okay. And so Shane was going, well, why the heck are we in DC going on a trip to the, you know, Southwest? Why, you know, why, why are we snap, snap in these two different places when had I just been a little more on my game, a little more prepared and clear, um, and willing to take, you know, slow down and make sure everybody's on the same page. It would have been clear. Oh yeah, you are in Denver and you're, you're, you're just headed, you know, a few, few miles South, not across the country in one scene with right. no explanation. Enough things like that. I mean, just a little more preparation, a little more you know, being on the ball uh, would have helped bring in um, the character, everybody at the table, not just the half of the table who already knew right. all the background information. And having people come in and having this be a living campaign, it's a little bit of a, a different beast as well because they're bringing in characters they created. Yes, and you don't so know what's showing up. You don't too. know what's showing up. You don't have control over the characters that are coming into the table. But if you're using pregens and you do have control, make sure that those pregens are interesting and useful. Level them up sufficiently. Yeah, don't have uh, novice. Yeah, give that's, them, that's one of my pet give them diverse abilities. Help the players by giving them a snapshot of their history. Give them some motivation. Maybe tell them how they see other characters. And design them all to have a place in the game as well as a role in the adventure. That's huge. But by doing that, also allow the players to kind of interpret those characters in their own way. Now, when I say give them a character history, give them a motivation, all this stuff, I say that with a caveat, and this is my opinion and my personal opinion is, I don't think this needs to be more than a paragraph or two. Anything more than a paragraph or two, it's too long. Players aren't going to read it all. I am a slow reader. It takes me a while to get through that stuff. And if I'm reading a, a page, a page and a half, two pages, one, I'm not going to get through it. And I, as a player, I'm going to find it really hard to remember more than a couple of game points for that character as that game's moving forward. Exactly. And, you're, and, and, and the more you give players, you're also removing their agency as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. You're putting them, and we talked about this on another show that I do, the, the GM Hangout, is that you're putting them into a box and you're constraining them to that that little box and you're not letting them work outside of it. So make even a few bullet points, in my opinion, is good enough. 
I don't think it needs, I mean, even a paragraph to me is about the extent of what I think you should go for. Oh, sure. And you can create connections between your pregens with a sentence. Your character is suspicious of the motivations of that character, or your character is jealous of the blank of that character. Your character has a romantic attachment to right. someone related to the other. I mean, you know, one little sentence is enough to create something that will just, it, it breaks the ice on player to player interactions in your game. Right. It's very similar to in Apocalypse World and Dungeon World, all those powered by Apocalypse games. It's the bond system. But having bonds, it's only like one sentence. Yeah. And so you give that to everybody and you make sure that at least each character has a bond with one other person, you're good to go. Um, another thing about pregens that it's taken me a little while to come around to this, and I, I guess it's because I hadn't really thought of it before, is when you're doing pregens, there is absolutely no reason why you should feel bound to the exact character creation rules. If you deviate from those rules a little bit and it makes for a better character and a more balanced character to fit your scenario, by all means, do it. Create the characters that you need for the game that are going to be fun for the players. They're going to emphasize that setting. An example that's that's in, in, in the tips that we gave is don't give a character boating if they're never going to be near water. This is something that I feel very, very passionate about is give every player at least a D4 in notice. Because almost every con game I've ever run, as soon as those players sit down and those are and there's players who have played before, inevitably, why don't I have notice? You didn't give me notice? I don't have any notice. Oh, absolutely. And, and so I think giving them a, just, even if you just give them a D4, it's going to go a long way to, to help that player. Especially because, I mean, at least here, a lot of GMs use the notice check as, one, the first check that the character is going to make in the game. And two, it's a utility check in the sense that if the GM wants to give players information or get the action going, you know, introduce a combat or introduce something else that a character would be interested in investigating, you almost always want to have the notice check first. And it's a very common GM ask is make a notice check. Right. If you're about to start into the game and then you got everyone's like, I don't have notice. And then you got to stop and slow down, explain unskilled checks. And you can really stop and stall what should be your acceleration right. into the so, game. So take some time. Uh, in the pirate game, when I was running the pirate game at the convention, the very first time I ran it, we spent probably 15 minutes tweaking the characters because... People were like, well, why did you give me this skill? I'm never going to use it. This person would never use this skill, but you didn't give me this skill. And so you spend time going, oh, okay, so take off climbing and give yourself a, a boating or navigation or whatever it is. So if you take some time to set up these pregens ahead of time and based off of what's going to happen in your adventure, you don't need to give them 10 different skills. If they're only going to use four or five skills, only give them four or five skills. And that way they're going to be able to use those skills. They're going to be able to roll those dice. But then you can always explain to them after the fact, hey, I didn't give you skill X, but that doesn't mean you can't use it. You're going to do a D4 minus two, you know, and then you can explain that unskilled roll to them. How do I do that? What's a D4 minus two mean? I think that's really a key. I think that's really important. That's something that I'm going to work on, really pay attention to for my Star Wars game is I'm going to pay attention to how are they all going to work as a team? There's going to be no Jedi. I've decided not to put not to put any Jedi in my game, so we're going to make them feel like a team and just give them what they need. Next kind of tip to talk about real quick is to give your players some agency. Let them play the game, you know, as they wish, and reward them for doing those cool actions. Most players are going to accept a bit of a railroad at a con game. It just it goes with the way a con game is run. You you know you're given that initial scene to get you to scene two, so you're going to most likely take that bit of railroading. But as a GM, don't be scared if it starts to go off the rails and makes for a better game to do it. Again, I mentioned this at one point. I'm really sorry, Sarah, but at the last convention, my ETU game went completely off the rails. We never even got to the adventure. Yeah, but everyone still talks but about everybody it. Still so, talks yeah. about it. And I've been asked by a couple people, are you running the next ETU game in the series for the short bus on Sunday morning. They're calling themselves the short bus. Nice. And I did put that onto the site as my Sunday morning game is, is the short bus game. Excellent. That's a good Sunday uh, game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good. And so maybe, you know, I'm hoping I'll have some of the exact same players and maybe we can not get to that adventure too, you know, <laughs> but I just, I let them run with it. 
Yeah, it's kind of the big point about you know giving players agency is also just remembering the big point of you know we're here to have fun, we're here to interact, we're here to have everyone have their day, shine so, that spotlight on different folks throughout the adventure, and to ease into that, I, mean, I really like the next one because I think we mentioned it a lot, but I think it's worth mentioning a lot is that when you've got a bunch of strangers at a table, I mean it's there's a big difference between running a convention game and a home game. I mean home games you can work intimately with the players to get what they want and what what's out you know a character will come to you a player will come to you with skills on their character sheet and that's a hint to you hey they want to do that in this game right. so i will work that in when you're running the game when you're providing the characters or when you're in the unfortunate position i was in when like i don't know who's going to show up i don't know what characters they're going to have and if you're not at that level which obviously i wasn't yet to roll with that efficiently you gotta have a little more preparation to handle that but one way of getting players at a convention game who might not know each other at all and get the ball rolling, get them into the game is to use the Savage Worlds and other rules. Page 105, people. It's a brilliant way to do it. I do it in almost all my games. That's how I start them all. And I pick the cards behind the screen and then I'll kind of ask them a question, you know. So uh, Chewbacca <laughs> or Han, you had a, a, a victory at some time in your past. What can you tell us about this? What, what, what was involved in this, in this glorious victory you had? And then let them go. Oh, absolutely. And that, I mean, you can work that back into your game. I mean, I did that for the game that bombed. The problem was, I it, there were since there were so many people, a lot of people felt a little truncated in what they wanted to do. So I didn't get a lot of information from Shane on that. And uh, so Shane, if you're listening, be more local, you know, local, locative next time and, and give a little more background. Because that'll let the GM know what your character wants to accomplish or what your character kind of concept is. And the, the other part of that is it also allows... Everybody at the table who didn't read all of the pregens, if you brought pregens, to figure out who else they're playing with. I mean, it's hard to have group dynamics and group strategy right. if the player's like, okay, I usually want to play the cleric or I want to play the leader, and they're going to just fish for that one character and then not read all the other characters. Right, you have that last guy that comes to the table and there's one character left. Yeah, and he might not know who else is even at the table. Right. And so, you know, that has been a problem in some games where if you if you start off the bat, you get to the first combat and you're like, wait a minute, do we know each other? Who's here? Who has skills? And you kind of, right. that's something that you can kind of put in the front load of the game um, to allow players to use those that information and those tools instead of being, ending up like, oh, do we have, who has healing at the table? And you kind of, you know, right in the middle of your combat, you're looking at people, people's sheets and you're arguing over who's got a D6 versus a D8 or whatever. Yeah, and it's Gonna, um, and it's worth a Benny right off the bat. It's worth a Benny and you're going to get sometimes priceless information. So speaking of Bennies, remember what Savage World's tagline? Fast, furious, fun! Yeah, so use those Bennies. Make sure you've got a good Benny economy going. Get those Bennies flowing back and forth. Use situational rules. Like we talked about a little bit, to highlight the system and setting, use those dramatic tasks, chases, social conflicts. You don't have to use them all. Pick one. If you can pick one of those and give it a prominent place in your in your adventure, that's going to go a long way to showing and, and really giving a good idea of what Savage World is all about. Exactly. And that brings us to the last GM tip is at the start of your game, you know, again, you can use the notice rule or, or something else is... Get everybody rolling the dice early just so you can ref refresh their memory on teaching the simple skill roll. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward die system. So get it out there right away. And I will tell you, when I was writing this up, this tip came from Shane himself. I can't believe that I didn't think of it or, you know, some of the other folks I had helped me out with this, that we didn't put this on the list before I sent it off to Shane. It makes perfect sense. Teach him that die mechanic right away. And I think that's about it on GMing convention games. Uh, again, we're going to go uh, over how you can get a hold of us, how you can contact us. So if anybody out there has any tips on running Savage Worlds games at conventions, anything you think that we didn't cover, anything that you think, nah, that's a, that, that's a dumb tip. Anything you think, hey, man, that was a really good, that was great. I never, I never thought of it. You know, let us know. Uh, contact us and give us that information. So we're going to go in now. And we're going to flip the sides of the table. So we talked about some GM tips. How can you run a good table? But there's a flip side of that. You've got six to 10 people sitting at your table. So what can you do as a player to make that Savage Worlds convention experience a positive one? And how can you have a good time at the table? 
So my first tip for players is remember that you know, your, your time is worth something. And obviously, if you're at a convention, you're probably paying to be there. So be in charge of your own enjoyment. Pick the right games to play in and make sure you read the whole blurb. Don't just do titles. They can be deceiving. Um, you might miss that the game is a riff or a comedy or Cthulhu Tech. Cthulhu Tech versus Realms Cthulhu or you know, whatever. So don't just look at the titles. You know, be in charge of your own enjoyment and you know, take a little agency in what you pick. Second tip is the same as the first tip for the, the GMs. It's introduce yourself. Introduce yourself to the GM. Introduce yourself to the other players before the game starts. It's just a good way to break the ice. It's good that people know your name because you're, you know, you're making connections. And, and I think a big part of it is as much as we all love Savage Worlds, we've built a community here which is fun i mean it's you know second family to some it's it's a a great way to see people you know twice or more a year that you know you don't get to see so be part of that introduce yeah. yourself it's one of the reasons are. why i started this group the rocky mountain savages it's one of many reasons why i started the group yeah and pl- plenty of gamers are introverts but you know this is how you, you break out of that so be present during the game put your distractions away like your phone i'm guilty of this one a lot because i use a phone or a tablet to google stuff i want to bring to my character for instance in one game i was playing a crazy preacher and so i wanted to bring bible quotes to that character so i'm sitting there on my phone looking up bizarre bible quotes that i can you know yell at demons and you know casting them out or whatever to add a little authenticity but you know i want to make sure that you don't do that too much make eye contact with the gm make eye contact with the other players be ready when your turn comes yeah, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. It's it's a pet peeve in my home games. It's a pet peeve in general is distractions and electronic devices. Now, like you said, I don't have a problem if somebody is using it for gaming purposes. I had a player who brought his laptop and, you know, he would have his character on his laptop. But I think what we're talking about is is words with friends, texting just flat out not paying attention. And then when it comes to your turn, oh, what's going on? Where are we? Breaks up the flow of the game. It slows everything down. For me, I just find it disrespectful. Yeah. Some people don't. Some people, it doesn't bother them. You know, if it doesn't bother you, more power to you. That's great. To me, I just find it kind of disrespectful. Yeah. If you want to share the score of the game that's going on, wait right. for a break. I'm not, and I'm not, not going to say that, that I'm 100% perfect on this because I've from time to time, falling into that trap. But we're all human. But we're just saying, you know, try to keep the distractions to as much of a minimum as you can. Yeah, exactly. So another tip is select a character that you're interested in playing. Part of that is asking the GM for clarification on any details if they provided sheets for you that you don't understand. And if there are any aspects of the character that you're uninterested in or uncomfortable in portraying, um, ask to change those. And that will allow you to take control of the character and really get into the role play, get into speaking in character, figuring out what you as a player are going to enjoy by figuring out what your player or your character is going to, what their needs and wants are. Don't just be the person who says, I'll take whatever's left and then ho-hum about it. Pick a character that you're interested in portraying. Now, let me ask you a question, though, with this tip. My question is, is what would you say to a player who unfortunately is that last guy at the table and there's one character left? Okay, so I'd say one as a GM, bring more characters than players. So there's always a choice. I mean, I'd never want to hand the last person, you have to play this. Two... If you're a player and, and, and let's say you just, you do, you do not know the magic system. Let's say you're, you're a brand new player. You don't know how to run a mage. Right. There's only a mage left. Um, I bring it up to the table and say, Hey guys, I'm new at this game. I don't know how to play the mage. Um, I'll probably be pretty awful at it. Does anyone want to play the mage instead? Or to ask the GM if they have another character or even this. I mean, and this is, this is in a crunch. If there's another character, uh, another player at the table who has a character you're interested in playing, ask if you can play a twin of that character in the sense that, you know, You'll take most of the character, you know, that character sheet and just change a few things to make them different enough. But, you know, is there room for two shooters? Is there room for two thieves? Is there room for two of one of the other, you know, and make sure you don't want to step on any toes. But I think a lot of situations, players be willing to negotiate that with you. Yeah, I I think players are, are willing to do that. It's better than trying not to ruffle feathers at the beginning and just not having fun for four hours because... Oh, nothing's worse than that. I've, I've played in those games before where it's just a slog and you're like, oh, Jesus, when is this going to end? You know, and as a player, you're sitting there looking at your watch or on your phone. Yeah, you or know. zoning out or just even not right. participating. Just, yeah, just sitting there like a bump on a log. Yeah, and that's enough. I mean, that that energy can spread. It can ruin a game. 
you know, other people will notice, hey, you know, Sally over there pulled out her knitting and she's not paying attention. Joe's being way too quiet. He hasn't done anything and we were two hours into the game. Right. Or, you know, sometimes like in one of the games, players will get passive aggressive about it. If you get to a point where you get no from the GM, sorry, I don't have another character for you. You're not feeling that one character. Find another game. It's up to you to be in charge of your own enjoyment. So if if, if you walk into a situation that you're not really feeling great about, feel free to just excuse yourself, ask for a refund sure. from the con, you know, go find another game. I mean, it's four hours of pestering the GM or not having fun. It, it isn't worth it for you and it's not worth it for the other people. I yeah. Mean, I'm not good with conflict. If you're not having fun and your enjoyment is is of, of the entire situation is just so bad, sometimes you have to get up and walk. Yeah. And go get some food. Maybe hopefully and that's going to be hard on the GM. But maybe by doing that, maybe the GM will maybe look at his game, look at how he's running things. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's, it, it's maybe not even be the GM. It just may be the game. It may be the character. It may, there just may be something that's just not jiving with you. So I don't want to put, a, definitely not trying to put all the blame on the GM. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that is there, but sometimes it's the other players. It can be the other players. If you're sitting at a table, and there's that one guy who is just annoying beyond belief. I've, I've sat at a table with some of those and I ha- have wished that I was like, I'm sorry, I, I, I gotta go. Well, exactly. You wait for a break or ask for a break. Uh, you know, if the GM isn't one of those who's just oblivious to it and, you know, either mention to the GM that, you know, if there's another player and you think that the GM can intercede on your behalf and, and fix the other player problem, or if your character's not fun, if the GM can let you, you know, take another one a third of the way in the game, that's fine. Or yeah, or just say sorry, I, you know, I, I'm just feeling ill, or whatever, whatever you think. But it's it's really the, I think the worst scenarios of all are if you stay in the room. I mean, the I, I had a con game where a player was very distracted because. They left some of their their purse or their their dice bag, or whatever, at their previous game, and just realized it at this you know at the, the next game, and so they spent the first twenty minutes obsessing over. They were at the table and they were calling the the hotel security, saying, you know, did, did anyone turn this in? I spent all this money on these dice, and it, it, it turned into this big distraction. And for them, I mean, all they really had to do was stand up and leave and go take care of it, and it would have been. And when they finally did, it, the game ran better. I mean, for both right. parties involved, the player wasn't there trying to micromanage getting their lost stuff back while trying to play a new character and the GM obviously could get on with the game. They could even come back. They'll say, hey, let me, I'm going to run and do this. And and if I can make it back, I'll try to make it back. And if that's the case, I would say, sure. And I would welcome that player back in 10, 15 minutes or, you know, and they may not be able to make it back, but I I would say, yeah, come on back. And and we've got, I know one of my games where I was running, we had parents who had their kids in Con Junior and the times didn't match up so that they had to go pick up their kid. I'm like, let me, they told me before the game. And I said, just let me know when. Just wave your hand and get my attention. And we will take a 15-minute break at that point, wherever, whatever we're doing. Sure. And you can go get your kid. You won't miss anything. And, you know, I'll just, you know, we'll time one of the breaks around that. And it worked out perfectly just with a little bit of advanced knowledge. We're balancing improv and planning. So the more information you can give your GM, the better. But yeah, so back to the list. Uh, one of the things is about, you know, respecting the other players in the sense of sharing the spotlight. You deserve to do heroic things, but as you're doing heroic things, try to do them with and not to the exclusion of the other players. If you can figure out a way of, of getting someone to help you in your big heroic scene or giving someone else the spotlight for a little bit, it doesn't mean sit back and don't engage. It means be an active player. For instance, you, if you notice that one of the certain players being too quiet, they're not having fun, try to pull them into the scene. Try to ask them, like, I need your help in character to, to accomplish this great idea. Um, can you help me with that? And just see, you know, that might be enough to just turn the entire game around. Right. For exactly, that yeah. So. But if they don't say anything, just, you know, like we like I've said before, just don't push it. Just kind of let it go. But yeah, I think that's a great idea. You don't have to be the GM. You don't have to start you know, micromanaging the table as a player. But again, there's one GM um, usually and, and six, five, six, four, five, six, seven, eight players. So whatever you can do to help out, make sure that you're one, you're in charge of your own enjoyment. And two, you don't squash other people's enjoyment. And on that, like if you're new to a system or aren't, aren't a GM yourself and you're not a master of the rules, you don't have to be a mechanics whiz to fully contribute to the game. The best thing you can do is describe what you want to attempt and then ask or let the GM help you make the right rolls. And this is me shaking my head. Yes, that's exactly correct. Yeah. So don't don't feel 
encumbered by your ignorance. Don't feel that if you don't know how how many actions you can take in a round or how the game handles swinging from a rope, jumping off, hanging upside down, shooting two bullets, and then trying to land gracefully, just say, this is what I want to do. How do we make this happen? And um, you know, let the GM and other players help you with that. So don't feel limited by being a novice. I wouldn't expect expert players to sit back and be quiet, but you know, it's often the novices might feel a little bit intimidated by the rules to not fully engage. So don't feel that way. I'm pretty sure everybody who runs a game at a convention wants new players, wants to help people along. Oh yeah, that's how you grow the system. Yeah. You you have to. You have to be able to take those new players under your wing and bring those new players to your table. And you have to have that patience with them. Because if this is their first time playing any system, you want to really highlight this system. So you want them to have a good time. And so I think that's really pivotal and key to make sure that they do have that good time. Another tip, which is kind of the uh, the corollary to um, game masters being allowed a little bit of room of, of railroading, is um, buy into the story. Note the mood, the setting, the genre. To you know, pay attention to those things, and you know, cracking out of character jokes might be great in a Landauer pulp game, but if you're running a horror game, it could ruin it. You know, and so be you know, be mindful of that. Also, don't derail a planned adventure without first at least trying to work within the framework. It doesn't mean don't have fun or don't have agency, but it means that you know, you obviously the GM is probably prepared to at least start out in a certain you know setting, a certain place. Don't preempt the GM and the other characters getting involved in the first scene with a, I want to do something different off the books, radically change, you know, uh, that works sometimes in home games. It can really screw up a convention game. Yeah. You know, when you, you're talking about mood setting and genre, yeah. Monty Python quotes have their place. Just make sure it's the right game for them. Yeah. That goes back to reading the blurbs. If the game is a tongue-in-cheek game, those things are kind of welcome. Sometimes it's hit or miss. Like with Chickens in the Mist, uh, I will probably mention this game often because it's one of my favorite games ever, is you know the way Neil Hyde ran it versus the way the author wrote it, two very different things. The author thought it was going to be a very serious, straight-laced horror game. And Neil Hyde and the rest of us, when we ran it, and, and plenty of tables have done this, turned it into a more slapstick, offensive, or at least off-color joke fest. Oh, yeah. So in one, you have chicken fighting in a circular place, and other, you have cock rings. I mean, you know, this is how different takes on it. So be mindful of how your GM is running it. So sometimes the blurb is not enough, but the, uh, you know... Don't don't spoil other people's fun by deciding that you know, I don't like investigative serious games and horror, so I'm going to run the Monty Python jokes. That's enough to just ruin other people's time, to, to prevent the GM from building suspense or getting into the story, getting that submersion into actually playing your characters. So be mindful of that. You know, Sometimes like I'm the kind of guy who likes making meta jokes. When a GM asks, hey, no, we're, we're doing a horror game now always talking character. Yeah, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy who's, ah, but I'm going to be funny and, and make puns and whatever. No, just you know, go along with it. In, in, enjoy the adventure. You know, go along for the ride. So, and that, that leads to one of the last two is interact in character. I, I know role play is not everyone's cup of tea. Some people like rolling dice more than they do being in character. For those of the people who like to be in character, to bring those acting skills, to bring that in-character interaction, try it. Speak, strategize, negotiate with other players and NPCs as your character, not just as a player. There's room for both. I mean, there there is definitely room to be, hey, you know, Joe Thomas always, uh, he's a GM here, he, he calls it above board. So when he says, okay, above board, it means we're talking as players, not characters. Right. Yeah, yeah then we go back into as players. It, it, it's a fun way to enrich the game, to, you know, some people like to use voices. You know, and that was kind of one of the things about the, 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 the game that went wrong with Shane is that the... Not being able to know who's going to bring what character to the table, which is, it's a hard thing to do. And I you know, probably am not good enough GM yet to, to really be a master of that is the two of the characters, uh, to the players, and these are the two who had a great time at the game, brought interesting, but not specifically useful characters in the sense that one of the, one of the, the players brought a male courtesan to the table. He played as Sven, the sweetest masseuse. <laughs> <laughs> and um he was great because that he sounds awesome. he played he played the accent he played in character and he tried to use his masseuse skills and male escort skills 
in combat situations. That turned Shane off a bit because Shane was playing a, a Texas Ranger type character and he didn't, he, he didn't feel it was as useful as that. It is his role. His role is kind of getting stepped on. But to me, when I had 10 players, the players that stepped up and really got in the, into the game and really took command of their characters, it was kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, they got more of my attention than was probably fair to the other players. Right. And so that was a failing of mine, but you know, in moderation, in, in the correct amounts, when you are speaking in character, like one of the characters, the other characters had a great time. You know, and we were interacting so much, Shane thought that we were old friends, even though these these two players, oh, we never played a game together. It was the first time we'd ever really played together. She played a character who was, he, she had such a gold bug that in the middle of the first combat, she notices gold in the river they're trying to cross. So they're trying to cross the Rio Grande into Mexico. A, a group of like chupacabras are attacking them. And her character notices there's a flake of gold in the river. So she drops everything to go pan immediately for that flake of gold. So I mean, obviously not very combat effective, but I love that enthusiasm. I love playing that hindrance. That was the character. The character was, you know, they were there for the gold and didn't matter that some supernatural being with fangs and wings or whatever was coming after right. her. There's gold in, in the, and that's, she went right there. So, and that's a, that's Benny worthy right there. Oh, exactly. Play that hindrance. You know, and, and to me, you know, I, I probably overdid it in rewarding them with the attention and the ability, but to me, it was kind of, I think, an overuse of the the other piece of advice where they say, you know, GMs don't say no, say yes, and um, I guess there is a time where you can say no. The one one of the other things that this this really hilarious Sven the male courtesan character tried to do is where the characters were, were crossing a lake and their their boat gets attacked by crocodiles. So I mean, this is legit in the real world. So I, mean, I guess it wasn't too far too far fetched. But instead of fighting it, he tried to do the whole flip it over on its back, rub its chin and put it to sleep and you can do that with actually like rabbits and, and a lot of lizards you can put them into this kind of semi catatonic state with a little belly rub so he tried that on the crocodile and shane thought that was a little too pulpy for a deadlands game um he thought that was a little out of character out of uh, but i like sure roll roll your masseuse skill let's see how it goes and the guy rolled like a 27 oh, so geez. You know, to me, I'm like, yeah. I mean, to me, that means you put that crocodile to sleep. And right. So to me, as a, on a pulp sympathies, told me, yes, this is funny, this is hilarious. Let's let's give it a try. If, if if he if he botched it, he's getting eaten by the croc. But he rolled really well on it. You know, I, I can see how if you are thinking a more stand up Western Deadlands game, and especially in a, in a setting you wrote, you'd think this doesn't really fit the setting. This is right. a little. The GM should have said no. It's a little goofy, Masseuse, You know, you you can you can use your your skills for seducing guards, you know, the, uh, as a face, but as a combat feature. Well, that's the thing. I kept letting him use it. You know, use his skills in combat, and so he he had like the Uhura fan dance at one point. So I think that. That was a little bit of my fault, not reining in a social character using their social skills for right. every aspect of the game. Right, a little too tongue-in-cheek. It was, it was too tongue-in-cheek. And to me, I love that. To me, I think it's hilarious. I, you know, I don't mind that. But I can see how if you signed up for a game where you think you are playing gritty Deadlands, you're not getting what you wanted out of it. Right. And, it and watching another character who you perceive as getting favoritism from the GM getting too much attention and stepping on your niche where you've got a character that's designed for the hard combat scenes, the uh, being a better shooter because you took the time to make the edges and the skills, you know, at a high enough level, you know, that if the GM is allowing the character to blam away with their automatic weapon without the penalty or to use their, their social skills, you're inadvertently stamping on another person's niche. So right. they're, they're waiting for their turn to be the hero. Yeah. They want and, that spotlight. Yeah. And you, you took it away from them. Right. So as a GM, that was the GM tip as a player by interacting in character, character you can take command if you're not getting what you want tell other players like hey guys i think we need to interview these players or hey let me try to pass a fiver to that guard and see you know share a cigarette and see if i can get some information right. from them or let me try to seduce that person and see if i can you know get some information out or even let the gm know out of character hey would it be possible at this juncture for me to try to find a terminal and use my hacking skills to give us more information before we breach the building? If you don't feel that your character's been given the spotlight, step up and ask for it. Just ask, hey, can, is this a good idea? Can we do this now? Phrase it in the form of a question. It's a little less threatening than, I want to be a center right. point right now. But I, I think you'll find more often than not other players and GMs 
will be, oh, I didn't notice that you hadn't really participated as much yet. So sure, yes, let's try this. Let's do a an interlude scene or a, a separate scene with you trying to do some hacking to see if we can get some more information before the, the other characters are about to bash the door in. Or I think most GMs would appreciate if, if your characters took a little bit more agency in crafting story as well. Don't overrun other people, but if you're not, if you're not getting your right. kicks out of the game, if you're not getting attention, find a way to ask for it. Find a way of, of, of fitting in into the scenario. And I think though, also that kind of goes back to what you had said earlier about don't stomp all over the GM's game and story. It's all of your game and all of your story, but I kind of liked what you had said earlier about go with the flow. It's a con game. Be there and go with the flow and, and buy into the story. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things where, you know, I, I mean, we have the luxury of running games and playing with people over and over again, you know, with our great Rocky Mountain Savages community. So we kind of get to know like, oh, this GM kind of runs games like this. So there are some GMs who have very detailed plans out or, or just GM style, like, like Don Arnold. He likes to time his sessions. And I mean, you know, we make fun of him for it sometimes, but it's, it's a great way of being like, we're going to get through so much material. I, I want to have a, a budget. So I know that we're going to, we're not going to jip people from the experience they signed up for other players. Like I, Brian McCabe, he's a friend. I've, I've run his games a lot of times. He'll be very open-ended on tasks. His form of allowing players to have agency will be present a challenge for the players and and then be a counter serve or a, a counter attack GM where the players will then throw out ideas and then he'll run with what the players are trying to do. That free form style might scare a lot of players. They don't know what to do. They, they feel that they don't have enough guidance sometimes if they're not used to that style versus other GMs who have this is so railroaded. I've got these, you know, all these encounters, all these stats. Try to go along with it. And then if you're feeling uncomfortable, you know, again, feel free to step up and ask. Even ask above board. Hey, guys, is this a good time where we can throw around some out of character strategies, you know, on, sure. on how we might go? Or or do we want to stay in character? And if it's in character, then try to, you know, work in your ideas as your character. You remember it's a two-way street. It's not just the GM's party. It's not just them telling a story and you get to watch it. You know, those games are usually not very fun. I mean, when the GM has, there's only one way to solve this one little minute puzzle and everyone has to do everything right or else it's not going to work out that way. Yeah, kind of you got either avoid those GMs or get really good at reading their minds. Right. Uh, but again, a lot of times you can avoid that problem by just stepping up a little bit more. You'd be a little more like, hey, above board, is there more than one way to solve this or do we need as a group to find your one solution? And the asking that one question is probably enough to tip off the rest of the table and avoid wasting half an hour. Or tip off the GM that maybe he needs to come up with another way oh, exactly. real quick on the fly. Yeah. I don't mind table talking out of character stuff if it's in advance of the enjoyment, in advance of the plot. Sure. Uh, that's a pet peeve of a lot of players. I mean, we didn't mention it in our sheet specifically, but it's more of a quality role play experience where you know, be mindful of out of character knowledge or in character knowledge. That's a real way to piss off other players where you're watching the game and if the GM doesn't use, say, a secret note to tell the thief what they found in the person's pocket and then suddenly they come back to camp and you're like, what did you find? Because you know they found something you want or whatever. Try not to be that player. Try to be mindful of in-character, character knowledge versus player knowledge versus table talk. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to have your character be ignorant or something, but you as a player want to contribute to an idea. For instance, you know, there might be a time where... You have a great strategy, but you are not the group leader and your character is not, let's say your character is a dunce. Your character is a sniper off somewhere else where you can't really communicate with a group. But you have a really cool idea that the, the other group might want to strategize about. Ask, hey guys, do you, do you mind if I have an out of character suggestion for what you guys might want to consider? Just asking is enough. Yeah, so let's talk the, the final thing that you have on the player tips. And we talked about this as a GM is use your bennies. Yeah, don't be a Benny Horde. They let you do cool stuff. Use them. Make sure that you're using them. Make sure as a GM that you're giving them out. But I want you to read that last sentence of this one because I really think that that is, is as a player, really something to think about. So what's yeah. this last little bit here? Don't be risk-averse. Be risk-seeking. Don't be afraid to fail because sometimes those are the most memorable and fun parts of the stories. One of the, the big criticisms of the game on a stylistic level Shane gave to me is I never felt that, or he never felt that the characters could fail, that they were ever at risk of failure. And so it was too much just of a, of a success train. 
as a GM, that's a pretty profound statement is as a, as a player, don't be afraid of failure. And as a GM, don't be afraid to give your characters tasks they might fail at because those oftentimes make for the best parts of the story. The heroic sacrifice. I mean, if you've got a character who wants, who's got a death wish or who's impulsive and, you know, overconfident, the, the, sometimes those players, they want to have situations where they can fail or they can be heroic in dying. And if everything is too easy or too much success driven or players are playing too conservatively, you never have the big epic moments. You know, that's kind of why we play Fast, Furious, Fun, savage settings that right. are epic and they have fantasy elements and have defined evils is we don't play insurance adjuster. We don't play actuary. Those are kind of things that we want to get away from. The, gosh, I, I want to be really risk averse because I can't afford an accident. Or I, I don't go do fun things because I'm worried about the consequences to my family. So I don't let me out. Right. It's a con game. It's a game. It's a fun. You know, the worst case scenario, your character dies and you enjoy it. And you've got a right. story to tell. Yeah. So I hope everybody listening, I think Chris and I have shown our passion for the game, our passion for Savage Wars, our passion for GMing for playing the game. I, I, I hope that came across. For anybody who's interested in seeing these in writing, they were put up today on Pinnacle's main page. So you can go to, to pegging.com uh, and those are going to be on the main page. And eventually those are going to go up on the convention uh, tab on the webpage as a permanent addition to the website for their convention information. So I'm pretty excited for that. I'm pretty, pretty proud of what we came up with. I think that we came up with some pretty good tips overall. Again, are all these tips going to work for everybody? No, I don't expect them to, but hopefully they've given everyone some food for thought, some ideas you might not have had, some things that you're thinking, yeah, Maybe I could do that differently. Or, yeah, I've been doing that. That's really a great tip. I'm glad that they came up with that. Yeah, um, and understand that we're not giving you these tips as vaunted experts. Oh, no, run no way. For, you know, these, these are things we've screwed up and are happy to share with you our screw-ups. As We you know, we want to become better players and better GMs yeah, as well. Yeah, as a GM, I'm always learning. I'm going to be learning as long as I'm GMing. Always something that I can learn. I always have a takeaway from convention games you know my, my takeaway from tacticon was i can improv i can i can run a game that went completely off the rails because i did it and it was so much fun so you know that's not something i would have done before yeah it's, it's scary i would have freaked out normally i would have tried to do everything in my power to get them back on track and i just let it go and just ran with it so that takes us to something we want to talk about a new section of the show that we're going to hopefully have some listeners give us some tips for Savage Worlds. Whatever you have, whatever tip you have, it doesn't necessarily have to be about GMing at a con game or running a game, but any tip that you have towards the end of the show, we're going to close with a segment we're going to call Leave a Tip. Yeah, and, and not only just things you write to us, like we want to get your voice, uh, your inflection, your your personality on the show. So if you can find a way of recording um, your tip, send it to us. That means, you know, we'll set up a Skype call or record a phone call or you have the means to save a wave file on your computer. The uh, Send that to us and we'll, we will splice you into the show so you can, you know, leave your tip as a player, as a GM, as an aficionado. Um, we'd like to allow you to join the show with us. And uh, having said that also, if we've asked before, but if you have topics, you have things you'd like us to cover, things you'd like us to talk about, send those to us. Don't forget also to send us your Savage Rifts questions for Sean Patrick Fannin to uproar at savagecast.com. Subscribe to our feed on iTunes or go to savagecast.com. There's a sidebar that will give you tons of ways to get to our show. Uh, and make sure you're the first to hear our upcoming interview with Charles White of Olympus, Inc., and on behalf of my co-host, The Savage World, this is Chris, The Savage Mommy, wishing you happy hunting at your next Savage Worlds game. And when in doubt, do it like the savages.